Hello, welcome to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute podcast number 28. Today I'm interviewing Adam Klosowiak of Kloss Guitars. Now it's just a couple of podcasts ago that I was talking to Claudio Pagelli, a master guitar builder from Switzerland, about Pagelli guitars. This is another guitar maker, but it's something completely different. These guitars are made from carbon fibre and Kloss Guitars have done numerous successful campaigns to raise funds on Kickstarter. It really is amazing the amount of money that this company has generated in pre-orders for their carbon fibre guitars. Andrew and his brother Ian are relatively young at 25 and 30 and yet they have managed to grow this company into something rather special. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or any of our other download sites, please come on over to the Guitar Music Institute. That's www.guitarmusicinstitute.com where every podcast episode is featured and where you can find further links, videos, descriptions about this podcast and lots of other information about the people that I'm interviewing. My name's Jed Brockie. I hope you enjoy this interview with Adam coming up, Kloss Guitars. Adam, it's great to be talking to you at last. We've tried on many occasions, but here we are. Yeah, thank you for having me. People are going to start thinking that this podcast is just about uh, guitar creators because I had Claudio Pagelli on a few weeks ago, or a few podcasts ago, and he's one of the great traditional guitar builders, but I've been wanting to talk to you for quite some time because Kloss guitars are something completely different. The first thing I want to say is, just by looking at you on screen, and without sounding condescending, you come across as quite a young guy to be running this, what looks like, from the outside, a big company. Do you want to tell us, the listeners, a wee bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, my name's Adam Klasoviak, and I'm 25 years old now, and uh, I am, I guess, on the younger end uh, for for people who are running a guitar company. You know, Closed Guitars started three years ago only, and my brother Ian and I started it together. He's older, so he's five years older, and he had much more guitar experience than I did uh, when we started. So we were both still in college. Ian was a mechanical engineer, and he had already played guitar for about 10 years. So he had a good amount of experience under his belt as a player. Um, and being a mechanical engineer, he had a lot of experience building things. And so, What's your background, Adam? Yeah, so my background is I studied electrical engineering at Princeton University. Is that not one of the better ones in America, yeah? One of the better ones, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was hard, let me tell you. Uh, but I survived, and I most likely will never use my electrical engineering degree but it was a great thing to study, and uh, I focused on semiconductor physics, which was very interesting, learning about lasers, LEDs, solar panels. That could be the next thing for Kloss. You could chuck a solar panel into it, no? Yeah, exactly. It powers the uh, the pickup. <laughs> you don't need a battery anymore. <laughs> Send it into the grid and then make money from having the guitar. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves here because we've got all this goodness to talk about in a minute. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so I, was, I think although 
Electrical engineering is not something that I actively use every day. The engineering mindset is something that we do use every day at Closed Guitars, whether it's on the business side or uh, on the technical side, having that hypothesis-driven approach of we need to solve this problem, first identify the problem, figure out what variable has to change or what variable is the problem, come up with a number of solutions, test it out, experiment, see what the results are as they come in, and then iterate from there. And that's a very scientific approach, and we apply that to both the business side and the guitar building side. So what is the problem? So as you could tell, if someone sees our guitar, the first thing they might notice is that our guitars are made from carbon fiber. There have been carbon fiber guitars made before. There are about six other companies in the world, but they have all made their guitars uh, from completely out of carbon fiber. And so what that does is the price point has historically been very high. So $1,300 is the minimum you would have to spend to buy a carbon fiber guitar before we came around. That's about, what, 900 sterling, 950 sterling around the same euros, yeah? Yeah, yeah, about. The, the thing that a carbon fiber guitar solves is, you know, naturally wood is a fairly fragile material. Uh, especially if you have it so thin, uh, which you have to have in a guitar because you want your soundboard to be very resonant. But by having thin wood and by having a bridge that's connected to six strings that have a lot of tension on it, over time that can warp in various humid, humid environments or hot or cold environments. The wood expands, contracts, changes, can crack with time. Not to say that wooden instruments are inferior instruments. They're, it's just an observation that they are fragile and they're not the most durable in extreme environments. Carbon fiber solves that because carbon fiber does not change in humid environments or hot or cold environments. It's a very stable material and that's why they build jet planes out of it. That's why they build high-end sports equipment. Uh, Automotives are increasingly moving towards carbon fiber parts. So this material is so awesome for building durable instruments But at the same time, usually when people are thinking about buying a travel guitar, they want to buy something that's, you know, either their second guitar. So something a little cheaper that they don't have to worry about. So it kind of defeats the point to buy a very nice, uh, expensive travel guitar, because then you'll still worry about it when you take it because you have a $1,500 guitar next to the campfire, as opposed to something that's a little bit more affordable. So that was our that was kind of our observation. The the travel guitar in our mind should be durable. So it should be made out of carbon fiber, but it shouldn't be expensive. So what we did was we made the body and soundboard out of carbon fiber and we kept the neck out of wood because the neck is already quite durable being so thick. You know, it's like half a baseball bat, whereas the soundboard and body are much thinner. So that was kind of our product innovation from the very beginning. Can I ask a daft question? Why carbon fiber? What You've told me about its properties. What led you to that? Yeah. So uh, my brother was a bike mechanic in the suburbs of Chicago. This was back in high school. And someone came into the shop once and they said, hey, I got hit by a car and my bike frame was cracked. And there was a small crack in the back tube on the frame. And the, the bike frame alone was worth $5,000. It was a Colnago, wow. which is what many, 
which is what many of the Tour de France athletes ride. And she was ready to throw this bike away. And my brother said, hey, can I have that frame? Uh, if you're going to throw it away, can I just can I have it? Because insurance was going to buy a new one and everything. And and she was like, yeah, sure. I mean, better you have it than in the trash. And so what he did was he got the frame and he wrapped it in 10 layers of carbon fiber in that small break. And once the carbon fiber cured, you know, it was just as strong, if not stronger than it was before. And and he gave it to my other brother who still rides it to this day. Wow. Just on, on the, um, the, the way carbon fiber works, as, as I understand it, it's built up in layers. Is that correct? Exactly, yeah. So carbon fiber itself is fibers that are woven together in kind of a sheath pattern. So if you look at a snakeskin, you you see that there's crisscrossing uh, weaves and that's kind of that's one layer of carbon fiber. Uh, so to build anything out of carbon fiber, there there are different production methods that you can have. You can either blend carbon fiber and then infuse it into a mold and then that cures with time. Or what we do is we lay in multiple layers of this carbon fiber into the shape of a guitar. And then we, it's called vacuum bagging. So we put a vacuum bag around that. It creates a vacuum seal so no air can get in. And then that's connected to a vacuum pump and on one end. And on the other end, it's connected to a cup of epoxy, which is uh, a high adhesive resin. And so that epoxy gets sucked in to the mold with the carbon fiber. And then that sits overnight. And then when you take the bag off, the vacuum bag off, you have a finished body. We don't, we don't apply any finish to it. We don't paint it at all. It comes out just how it looks when customers receive it. So you make the whole guitar body in one go? Yeah, so the body is one piece. There, there's no, there's no curving on the inside. There's, uh, the side and back are one piece. And that's actually a big reason why we're able to have our price be so much lower than, than competitors, because our manufacturing method is, is quite simple and practical. We sort of take out all the extra stuff. Uh, we have minimal bracing because the soundboard is already very strong. Uh, no curving the side and back is one piece. Uh, so there there really aren't that many pieces to our guitar. How long did it take for research and development to work it, this all out? Oh, it took a long time. <laughs> it, it's funny, we... So we started through crowdfunding, right? And the idea of crowdfunding is that you sell... You have one prototype and you sell the idea of the prototype. And if you can convince people that the product is good and that you have the right team to build that product, then they'll buy it and they'll receive it, you know, a few months later. So in June of 2015, we got 70 customers. They were our first customers. And, you know, being first time entrepreneurs, we thought, oh, we could build 70 guitars in two months. No problem. And wrong. it took us about, <laughs> yeah, couldn't be more wrong. It took us about eight months to build those first 70 guitars. Were they all moaning? Yeah, they, they definitely were complaining. I don't blame them. I would also be complaining, but... Feel the pressure, Adam. We, yeah, we felt a lot of pressure. Every time I wrote that email, hey, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, it didn't feel good. 
but we we gave them regular updates and we tried to give them insight into why things were taking so long. And I think part of crowdfunding is not just that you're getting a product first, it's that you're helping a company get off the ground. So I, I do think that the in the end, the customers were happy that we took our time to build a better product and that the company was able to keep going after that, as opposed to just building them, sending them and closing shop. In terms of Kickstarter, I mean, it is a very innovative and one of the better things to have come out of the internet. Does that mean as a company, you didn't actually need any startup cash? Yeah. So crowdfunding is an incredible invention, I think, that gives many more people the opportunity to pursue their ideas than than ever before. We, we did have to put in some of our own money, but nothing too extreme. It's not like we had to go to a bank and get a big loan or we didn't have to go to our parents and try to convince them that we were uh, worthy of their retirement funds. Yeah, just as well, <laughs> mum, dad, I want to build a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hasn't that yeah, been done luck. already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't you get a real job? <laughs> exactly. I think it's amazing because... Can you just tell the listeners the amount of money that you got first time round, and then tell them the second tranche, which is just staggering? So we've actually done five crowdfunding campaigns now. And the very first one, we raised uh, $33,000. And that was those 70 guitars. And that was our acoustic our acoustic guitar. And then what was the target on that, Adam? Uh, the target on that one, I believe was $15,000. So you doubled. Yeah. Yeah. So we doubled, but the target I should say, so our, our first target was a real target. Um, the targets afterwards, you know, as you get better at crowdfunding, you realize that, Oh, maybe we can raise a hundred thousand, 200,000 because you see these projects always that are raising millions. And so, the potential is always there. And all these projects, they always put the goal as, you know, 10,000, 20,000, knowing they're going to reach a million. And the reason they do that is because when you see a project that is 3,000% funded, it adds credibility to the name of the of the product. So that's kind of part of the marketing effort. But the first one was 33,000. And then the following year, we launched a 2.0 model, which was basically... Everything we learned about building the first one, we've now improved. And so now we're launching, you know, the second version of our guitar. And that one raised 102000 And then people kept asking us, hey, are these guitars going to have pickups in them? And so our third campaign was uh, an acoustic electric version of our guitar. And that was our biggest by far. That one raised 376000 was that all? Yeah. <laughs> what was the uh, project target on that one, Adam? I think the target on that one, I think we might have also used 15,000. I forget now. I think we usually have kept the target about the same. So why don't people just say the target's $10? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine balance between something that's realistic. And if you were to reach your target, it would still be useful. But something that is low enough where you could get multiples of it. it. It's always tricky. Basically, you never want to, you would never want to make your target 300,000 because if you got 280,000, you wouldn't get any of it. You see on the actual mechanics of the process of crowdfunding, 
if you exceed your target, does that is that a benefit to the company other than through a good PR shift? Does does it mean the Kickstarter themselves take less money off you or anything like that? No, all all that means when you exceed your target is that you just have more more customers and more products to fulfill. The portion that Kickstarter takes is the same. Customers still receive the same product. Uh, sometimes we do have these things called stretch goals. And you tell your customers, hey, if we reach 200,000, everybody gets a free shirt. If we reach 300,000, we'll improve the connection between the neck and the body. So these small incentives to, to keep getting momentum on the campaign. It kind of reminds me a little of uh, software development. People buy a piece of software and then there's an upgrade, which yeah. if you buy the upgrade, then it can do all this extra stuff. Yeah. And another similarity to software is when when there's a bug with your app or with uh, the site you're using, you give feedback and then the developers take that feedback and they iterate and they come out with a better version and there's that feedback loop. Uh, and it's the same thing with, uh, with Kickstarters, maybe it's a bit slower than with software because software you can iterate very quickly. But those initial customers told us what they thought about the guitar. We factored that in. Uh, one example was for the longest time, the, the wooden neck was connected to the body with screws that went into wood. Yeah, I saw that in the video. Yeah. And, and many of our customers said, hey, you should make a connection where the, the screws go into metal inserts because that would give the uh, disassembly and assembly of the guitar a longer lifespan. And, and so that's what we did. And that was, that's now a feature that's in all of our guitars. It's a fantastic way of evolving a product, isn't it, through the people that really matter, which are the ones that are buying it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Unpaid development officers, you could say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, no, you said there was five. What is the, the this fifth Kickstarter campaign? Oh, yeah, I should say. Well, so the fourth one was uh, colored versions of our guitar. So we launched over 12 colors of, of both the acoustic and the acoustic electric model. And now the fifth one is a ukulele, which we just launched about three weeks ago. That's the first time, you know, it's our second instrument after guitar. And we're really excited about the ukulele. It, I think with the ukulele, we've, we've nailed a product that we think is really going to make an impact on, on customers once they receive it. It sounds like it was just made for a ukulele. Well, as the company grows... You must be hiring more people to meet demand. Yeah, so our it's interesting. Our demand has has fluctuated mainly because of these Kickstarters. So you know, back in March of last year, when we had that big acoustic electric campaign and we sold over five hundred in one month, we had to hire a lot of people to build all those. But obviously, we're not selling five hundred guitars a month now, <laughs> which which would be phenomenal. But it's it's much harder on a website to generate that uh, that huge demand. So now our demand is is uh, it kind of trickles every day. It, it fluctuates, but on average, it's relatively constant. But yeah, we have we have uh, fifteen full time and part time employees now, and many of them actually are the part timers are still students, 
and we have we have some full timers that just graduated. So we're a fairly young company, uh, and that might be a product of my brother and I being at a younger age as well. Are these guitars being bought by people who are? I don't want to use this term, but I'm going to use it anyway. They're not like serious guitarists; they're more like hobbyists. And that Kickstarter, if, you know, that's the thing that infuses, or, or or is the connection with people who just want something that they'll pick up and play a few chords on. Would would that be fair? And finally, is the uke the thing that you think will catapult the company into a much bigger arena? Yeah, both really good questions. So surprisingly, uh, the age, the average age of our customer is in the 30s and 40s. Okay. Um, it's something that actually surprised me um, about crowdfunding is that there actually are many people older than you would think. Maybe the millennial age is the one that's on Kickstarter, like upper 20s, younger 30s. But we even have, we have a, a large uh, sub-segment in the 50s and 60s as well. So, uh, so these are experienced guitarists, definitely. Most of the people that buy that bought the guitar through Kickstarter already have several other guitars. And so this really is their travel instrument. And, and some of them are phenomenal musicians. I mean, some of them are performing musicians. So they go on gigs and they need something that they play, um, you know, on the bus. Uh, some of them definitely are your three chord, four chord junkies where, you know, you, you learn the, uh, the, the latest hit song on the radio and, uh, you just strum it. But the impression I get from talking with our customers and from seeing their posts on social media, there's a there's a very good level of playing that's being done on the guitars, which which I think makes sense because although the guitar is a travel guitar, it has a full scale length. So 24 and three quarters is the scale length. It is a very premium build, although although our price is is half of those of carbon fiber competitors. You know they're they're hand assembled here in uh, in our shop, and each guitar gets very very focused attention. So the playability is perfect, the frets are perfect, everything's level, the action is just right. And so when people receive these instruments, they know it's not a toy by any means. It's a serious instrument that needs a devoted hobby and time. So I think. I think people see the instrument and they and they understand this is something I should really value and, and play and practice on. And the uke, do you see that as the maybe the key to long term security and a much bigger market? The ukulele market is about six to seven times smaller than the guitar market by dollar value. And and that's from the, the National Association of Musical Merchants. But uh, that's mainly because the ukulele is less expensive. So last year, uh, or in 2016, when the last data is available, about 1.4 million guitars were sold in the U.S., and about 1.4 million ukuleles were also sold. The average price of a guitar is $480 in that year, and the average price of a ukulele is $70. I don't know that the ukulele is something that will catapult our company into the next level. But what I do think is if we can match our sales for the guitar with the ukulele, then that would definitely give our company a bit more stability. Um, yeah, because we're still young. Three years in is is by no means an established company. 
but I think expanding the product portfolio will allow us to, you know, if, if guitar sales dip a little bit, but ukulele sales maintain up, um, it makes it much easier to manufacture with a stable, with a stable team. Now these guitars, you say they're half the price of the competitors, which is fantastic, but I was looking at the prices, Adam, they're not pocket money, are they? And would that be a sort of clue as to why it's older people than you would have thought who are buying them? Yeah. So it's always tricky. You know, a college student is most likely not going to have the money to spend $600 on a travel guitar. Uh, definitely. So I think that that very well could be the reason why, you know, people's, people in their 40s or 50s definitely have more cash lying around than uh, than college students. The way the way we often explain it is, you know, you can buy a wooden travel guitar for good ones go for between 300 and, and 400 about like a baby Taylor, little Martin, those will run from 350 to 450. And so when we were pricing the guitars, we figured we want someone to see uh, a little Martin and think this is a good guitar, but if I'm going to have to buy another one in five years because this one will warp or crack or something will happen to it while I travel and then maybe buy another one five years later. So if you're thinking about guitar as a lifetime hobby, then the close guitar all of a sudden doesn't, doesn't seem that expensive because if, if you are going to have it and it's not going to change for decades, then you know that's a more long-term worthwhile investment. You're doing yourself out of business, aren't you? It's like the electric, <laughs> yeah. the light bulb, wasn't it? I mean, it, it never, <laughs> yeah. they had to actually, apparently all the big manufacturers in the world got together and decided uh, yeah. that they were going to make sure that these bulbs actually didn't work forever. Yeah, it's like, it's like highways in America. After 10 years, they all have potholes and they need to be redone. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, can people only buy them direct from Kloss or do you have distributors around the world? So that's that's another interesting feature of our company. We actually only sell them on com. We have now several other sales channels for example, you can also buy one on our Instagram, on our Facebook. We have the guitar on eBay and on Amazon. Adam, uh, uh, is the Instagram and the Facebook channels working for you? Are you seeing any significant sales from them? So we actually just started that last week. So we haven't had any sales on there yet. Isn't it weird? Because we're bombarded with all this these messages by certain companies who build apps and that, you know, get your products in front of a billion people. But the reality is no matter how good the product, it's still yeah. people on social media seem in, uh, immune to actually buying goods. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an interesting ecosystem that's, that's evolving. True. There are many people on these platforms, but they maybe aren't in that buying mindset uh, when they're, on Facebook, scrolling through. That being said, advertising on Facebook and and Google are are the two biggest advertising platforms in the world now. So they might be onto something in thinking that if you have a store on these platforms, it might generate some good sales. Maybe you need to buy yourself some data. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, the UK and the US have worked on that before. Something I noticed, uh, why is there no cutaway in any of the guitars? A couple of reasons. One, we, we want to remain focused 
as as a small company and not expand our product portfolio too quickly. One reason is inventory becomes much more challenging. So as you can imagine, we have an acoustic, acoustic electric, and a deluxe model, and then 12 different colors of each one. And so if you add a cutaway, it just adds, you know, doubles the permutations almost. You know, when, when resources are very low and you have to remain focused to, to make sure you stay afloat, adding something like a cutaway that is definitely, it would expand the interest. I think there are some people that only play on cutaways, but I don't necessarily think adding a cutaway would, you know, blow the company up. I think a cutaway is potentially something that will be in our future. A future? Would that be a future Kickstarter, perhaps? <laughs> perhaps. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, do you as a company want to eventually get away from the Kickstarter model and almost stand on your own two feet? Or is this actually going to be a feature of Kloss Guitars for the foreseeable future? I think we definitely are moving away from crowdfunding. And as of now, we can stand on our own two feet with our website um, and the interest in the website sales. However, I do think that crowdfunding reaches a, a group of people that only buy on Kickstarter or on Indiegogo, the two platforms. And so I think there really aren't that many downsides to launching a product on a crowdfunding platform, um, getting a bulk large order, delivering it, getting those initial customers and getting that initial feedback, and then transferring that over to a website and then just keep, keep selling on the website. I think that process works very well. Um, and so I think if we do have new products in the future, we'll most likely always launch them on crowdfunding, transfer them to the website, and then develop it further there. At least you know you've got a, a, an audience for, for any new products. Now, a couple of more questions. The first question I have is Kloss accessories. Look at Jim Dunlop. I don't know if you know Jim, Jim Dunlop products, guitar yeah. products. Actually, a Scotsman, believe it or not, from Greenock. Went over to oh, yeah. America, made his fortune, and now he takes a yellow rag, puts Jim Dunlop <laughs> on it, and sells it for loads of money. So uh, <laughs> are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> yeah, we'll sell uh, napkins made out of carbon fiber. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we do have several accessories um, that we think are the most important uh, guitar accessories. So naturally, we have a branded gig bag. And uh, we're working on a new gig bag, actually, which will allow you. So it'll be a full gig bag for the guitar, but then you'll be able to fold the top in and it'll become a backpack. So it'll have a double function of gig bag and backpack if you want to fold the guitar in half and, and carry it as a backpack. We have a, a neck sleeve which if you don't want the gig bag and you don't want to fold your guitar in half, you can put the guitar in a backpack and put a, put a neck sleeve on the neck to cover it. Uh, we have a branded capo. We have a gig bag rain cover, uh, which is something that is actually not that common in the guitar industry. And it's usually because no one would ever keep their guitar out in the rain. But with the with the rain cover on the gig bag, the guitar is totally safe because humid, uh, damp environment is fine. And and yeah, and then we have a strap. Uh, our strap is 
It's a branded close guitar strap as well. Yeah, you would need that. You would absolutely need that. Yeah. Well, actually, it actually, I almost never play the guitar without a strap uh, just because, you know, for me, having it higher up here is is more comfortable than resting the guitar on my knee. But yeah, so those are the main accessories. And I don't think that we're really going to expand much more into selling just accessories. I think usually... We're going to try to sell the guitar and then, and then the accessories with the guitar. Okay. So, Adam, I've left the most important, probably one of the most important questions till last. And that is about the guitar sound. Yeah. How many comments have, have you had? And I know you're going to say it sounds amazing. And I, I've listened to it. Yeah. It does sound amazing. Do you have any bluff traditionalists out there that won't touch it because... They say it doesn't sound woody enough. So that is the most important question. I agree. Uh, in the very beginning, the biggest criticism that we got before we even produced any guitars was that carbon fiber can't sound as good as wood. And I think I understand the skepticism that people have. You know, with any new material in any new industry, there's always that resistance to change in that. You know, wooden guitars have been made for centuries, and so how could there be something that's better now? Uh, n- not not to say better, but something that also functions well. Okay, can I ask you this difficult question? Does it sound yeah. better than the best wooden guitars? I would not say better. I would say it sounds slightly different, and it also depends on the size. For example, if you take Rainsong, which is the oldest carbon fiber guitar maker, uh, they've been around for over 30 years. Their full-size guitars sound amazing. And, and actually, there's a there's a popular YouTube video that has over 2 million views where uh, Daryl Brown, uh, this YouTuber, compares a blind test of a really nice wooden guitar and a really nice carbon fiber guitar. And almost nobody can tell the difference in the comments. Everyone's like, oh, I thought this one was that one. That's amazing. So the sound can be really good on a carbon fiber guitar. Usually when people say, how do ours sound like? I I say, you know, I'm obviously very biased. So I recommend you just listen to our videos and you let yourself decide and you let the guitar speak for itself. I do think it sounds amazing for its size. Uh, Naturally, a travel size will not have a full size sound because... To get that deep bass, you need a bigger resonating chamber. Uh, and so our guitar, naturally, by being travel size, is a bit more bright. But for its its size, it's very loud, and and it, it does have a very balanced tone. So, so yeah, and, and another feature I should mention that with carbon fiber, you can engineer the material how you want it. A, a wooden panel on the soundboard if you look at it microscopically, it's going to have fibers going in every direction and each one is going to be different. And so you can't replicate a sound perfectly. There's going to be some variation. With carbon fiber, you, you can replicate it exactly because you engineer it from scratch. And so our soundboard on our guitar is actually very innovative in that it has a carbon fiber layer on top and then a, then a layer of foam uh, low density foam and then another layer of carbon fiber and what that does is on the outside of the guitar you have the durable stable carbon fiber material but as a whole it's called a composite sandwich panel as a whole the panel is still flexible and can resonate well uh, and so 
the sound waves in the guitar body are able to you know resonate and come out sounding much better than if you were to have just carbon fiber as the soundboard layer. This has been a fantastic interview and I've been incredibly impressed by you and, and the company. The only thing that worries me slightly is the uh, on the videos showing people battering things because <laughs> if certain areas of Scotland hear about this, you know what I'm saying? They <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get some ideas. Um, yeah. So, but uh, I wish you all the best. This has been such a eye-opener for me. So Adam, the only thing that remains for me to say is Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Thank you very much, Jed. So that's us for another podcast. I learned an awful lot about carbon fibre and its properties, but also learned a lot about creating ideas that people really want to get behind, and that's the magic of Kickstarter. Many people are on that medium, but don't get anywhere near the success that Adam and Ian have found, and I wish them all the best for the future. If you enjoyed the podcast, as usual, come on over to GMI. That's www.guitarmusicinstitute.com. We've got another podcast coming up real soon, so all that really is left for me, Jed Brocky, to say is thanks for listening and hopefully see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.